Thank you for tuning in again to the Word of Life Ministries podcast for another Spirit-filled message with Rocky Brown. We're on part two of what's the name of the message. He is still on the throne. All right. He is still on the throne. So we talked about this last week, and... um, I'm glad that after service, I'm not going to call anybody by name because this is going on the podcast, but I am glad that, that some folks came forward and said, hey, this is exactly what I've heard this preached and taught, you know, from the perspective of, you know, God will get around to it eventually, or he's ordaining these things that are happening, or so on and so forth. And so that's how a lot of people see this, right? But, you know, sometimes, the you know, one of the, have I ever told you that, one of the easiest ways to interpret what God's will is is to figure out what it's not. It's the easiest, what's one of the easiest ways to do it. So how can we determine what is not God's will? Well, if we go over there and we go to the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus says, and when you pray, pray like this, our Father that is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, so... That tells me a couple things. One, the will of God is not automatically going to be done in the earth in the life of the believer just because he wants it done. Because if that was the case, he wouldn't have told you, you're going to have to pray God's will into the earth. Because that's exactly what he said. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father that is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right? So that tells me, one, in most matters, matters, I'm going to have to pray God's will into the earth for my life. It's not going to just hit me like ripe cherries falling off a tree. Number two, what can I figure out is God's will on the earth if I can't find if I can't find documentation saying that it's in heaven? All right, so let's start with sickness. Is there sickness in heaven? Nope. All right, so that would tell me it's not God's will for there to be sickness in the earth because Jesus said, "And pray your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven." So anything that I can't that I can't prove is in heaven, I'll know that it's not God's will. Rape, murder, blindness, uh, all, whatever is evil and and wicked and and all of these different things. If it is, if it can't be found in heaven, it's not God's will. If it can't be found in heaven, it's not God's will because we would think that in heaven, the heaven of heavens, the third heaven where God's throne actually is, and that's what we're talking about, right? That that's going to be the very first place in creation that the fullness and the perfection of God's will is put on, is put on display, right? Right, where, right in his presence, right? So we, sometimes we have to ascertain what's not in heaven to figure out what we shouldn't be dealing with in the earth. Are there any people demonically oppressed in heaven? No. All right, then it's not God's will for people to be demonically oppressed or possessed in the earth. You see, you think you're going to get to heaven and see some little kid in a wheelchair, crippled up with crippling disease and all this different stuff? All right, that tells me it's not God's will for it to be in the earth either. See that? So, with that said, how do we, how do we turn this thing around to say, Instead of saying that, instead of saying it and projecting this, he's on the throne from the perspective of, you know, everything that's just happening is God ordained or he's going to get around to it eventually or whatever else. How do we flip that around and review that right inside the light of the scriptures? So last week we talked about Daniel 7, right? That the thrones were seated, the Ancient of Days was seated, judgment was made on behalf of the saints. We're going to look at that, we're going to reference that again tonight. But I want you, if you're making a note, make a note on the phrase. Let's look at it in Daniel 7. <laughs> oh, Daniel 7. Go to Daniel 7. I want you to see this. And starting in verse 9, it says, I watched till the thrones were put into place and the Ancient of Days was seated. Now, remember, we proved in the light of the Scriptures who the Ancient of Days is last week. That's not the Lord Jesus. That's a bad teaching. Jesus is not the Ancient of Days. That is Father. 
and his garment was white as snow, and his hair and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. Mark, I remember Mark's eyes got real big when he realized that it had wheels. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousand ministered to him. I had some guy. I had one guy tell me last week. Said, "Well, we don't minister to the Lord. The Lord ministers to us." I said, "Well, um, I hate to be the one to tell you that, but that's not scripturally accurate." I said, "You just see right here. It says that that ten thousand thousands is ministering to him, and then you go over in Acts thirteen, and it says, and they were fasted and prayed and ministered to the Lord." All right, and then it says, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were open." Now, watch what it says here. If you keep on reading, it goes on, it talks about, you know, that um, it says here, as he goes on down, it says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, the, the Son of Man came on the clouds, and all of that. And then we get down here, let's see where it's at, and where it talks about, and judgment was made on behalf of the saints. Let me find that there. I, don't, I didn't intend to go there, but let's look at that. Of course, you can't find it right when you need it. Well, I know it's right there. For some reason, I can't find it. Daniel was grieved. I came. Is it 20? Oh, right there it is. Yep. Okay, and it says, And I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints. All right, so he's talking about demonic power, making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came and, the ju and judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. All right, so what is a judgment? We talked about that. That's a decision rendered for you or against you, right, by one who has authority greater than you. So it says here that judgment was made on behalf of the saints of the Most High God. All right, well... Do you know that every time that you have received a prayer answered, that means judgment was made for you on your behalf by the Most High God? Judgment was made for you on your behalf by the Most High God. Now see, isn't that interesting? Can you see that? So when we get to this, when we start in looking at this, it's important for us to understand that, you know, prayer is a protocol for the believer. Well, if we go there just thinking that this is like some kind of random roll of the dice or the, like the Holy Ghost Powerball if your number comes up or whatever else, because that's, you know, unfortunately, I'm not poking fun at anybody, but, you know, that's how a very high, high percentage of Christians believe, right? Well, if it just be God's will, well, the Bible don't tell you to pray like that. And that's important to understand, right? So you gotta, uh, you know, you've got to get in there. Let me just go over there to the book of Isaiah. Let me show you something. Go to the forty-third chapter of the book of Isaiah, forty-three. I'm gonna start reading at twenty-five, and it says, "I even I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance." Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. The King James says here, let us plead one with another and state your case that you may be justified. Let us plead one with another. All right, so that means I'm going to go and I'm going to plead my case to the Lord. Then the Lord's going to talk to me and he's going to plead his side of the case and we're going to plead together. Because that's what he said. He says, come, let us plead one with another. Come, let us contend together. Well, if it was just like what most people think, like an iron-fisted rule, why does the Lord say, come, let us talk? To, let's talk about this. You're going to talk, and I'm going to talk. I'm going to tell you my side, and you're going to tell me your side, and then we're going to reason one with another. Isn't that interesting? There's a whole lot more to this than what people think there are. See, that's a relationship. Can you see that? Let's talk about this. Tell me your side of the case. The Lord told me the other day. He said, I want to hear your, the weight of your heart in the matter. That's what he told me. I was talking about to him about some stuff. He said, I want to hear the weight of your heart in the matter. I said, all right. 
So when we think about this, and we're talking about, because this is, this is talking about prayer and, 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 and all this different stuff, but understanding protocol more than anything, right? So what, does it, what should it mean when we say he's still on the throne? What should it mean? Well, I'm going to continue describing a couple things about the throne of God and the throne room of heaven before we get to the meat of the matter. But I wanted you to see some things. Remember last week we discussed what it looked like, what the throne looked like. It tells us what God the Father looks like. Revelation, we get up there to Revelation, it begins to describe to us what the throne room of God looks like. right? And then remember we talked about how Jesus is standing in the realm of the Spirit. Remember, John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and the Lord appeared to him, and he's talking to him about the seven churches, and then it says, he said, and I looked up, I heard a voice from heaven, and I looked up, and a, and a door opened in heaven, saying, come up here, right? So then he goes to another, a whole nother realm. So he actually leaves the realm of the Spirit and then goes into the kingdom of heaven. So it's important for you to understand that. There are three realms. You have the natural realm, you have the realm of the Spirit, and then you have the kingdom of heaven, of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is a geographical location. And inside this place is a geographical location called the throne room of God, where the throne of the living God is. It's, a, it's not an invisible place. It's not an imaginary place. We just can't see it from where I'm sitting. I can't see Jellicoe from where I'm sitting. That don't mean it's invisible. It just means it's in a different geographical location than where I'm at. Why am I talking about all this? Because I, I want to get through some, I want to walk through this and get us understanding about what actually takes place when we're communing with the Most High God. Because, see, here's the thing about it I am an, I am an extreme advocate of intelligent Christianity. We should be able to intelligently explain why we believe what we say we believe. And intelligence and faith do not have to contradict one another. Intelligence used correctly will increase faith. It won't hinder it. So the more knowledge that we have about the Scripture, the more knowledge we have about the way things work, the more confidence that we can put in God. The more confidence that we can put in the Lord Jesus, the more confidence we can put in the Holy Spirit, the more confidence we can put in our relationship with them. The more we know, the more effective it should make us. And really, there's, I mean, it's one thing that aggravates the fire out of me is to hear people that should have a whole lot more knowledge and intellect than what they have talking. I shouldn't, I shouldn't hear people that have been Christians for 30 and 40 years and uh, talking in a way that is like second-grade Christianity. That's ridiculous. There's no excuse for that. And people wonder why they struggle with sickness, they struggle with disease, they struggle with this, they struggle with that, they can't get... You see what I mean? This whole thing has, should be focused on us growing every single day. So this is why we want to walk through this stuff, right? You know, I've said this before. How would you feel if your brain surgeon walked in and didn't know what a scalpel was? How much confidence are you going to have in that guy? You know, or he can't remember. Ah, oh, you know, what's that one thing? You know, it's got a sharp edge. No, we should be intelligent. Faith and intelligence can walk hand in hand. And, and they can actually help each other grow. The more we know about the Word, the more we know about God, the greater our faith will be, right? So that's why I'm trying to get, get this whole picture painted about there's three realms that the Bible talks about. These are geographical locations. The Bible describes what the throne of God looks like. The Bible describes what the throne room of God looks like. The Bible describes what God looks like. You see, uh, so we should have all of this in our, in, our, in our mind. This should be something that's a part of what we know because the more that we know, the more confidence that we'll have. All right, so Revelation, go to Revelation chapter 20. Now, we're still focusing on talking about the throne of God. And so in Daniel 7 and then Revelations 4 and 5, Revelation 4 and 5, we saw some descriptions of, some, of, the way, of what the throne looks like, what the throne room looks like. But here we're going to see something completely different. Revelation 20, starting at verse 11, and it says, Then I saw a great white throne. 
and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open. So there are books in heaven. Not one book, plural tense. The books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. So there's an actual book in heaven called the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. So in heaven, there's obviously a library. And things are being recorded in books in heaven. There are actually a psalm that says, I need to look that up because I can't remember it, but there's a psalm that says basically that every time God is mentioned, there's, it's, there's, something be, there's a book being written about that in heaven. So every time you're talking about the Lord to somebody, it's being recorded in heaven. It's being recorded. And it says here that the dead, all right, so this is the great white throne of judgment is after the tribulation. This is after the rapture. This is after the Jesus' reign on the earth. This is the end of time for all things. And when it comes to this, this judgment is where Satan will stand. He'll stand before this throne of judgment. Every type of evil spirit will stand before this throne. Every person that has refused to accept Jesus as their Savior and Lord will stand before this throne. And it says, and it says, and they're judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. So that's, other translations would say hell. So that tells you that hell is a temporary holding prison. doesn't last forever. This is the second death. And now listen, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So the great white throne is set. The judgment throne, not the judgment seat of Christ. The believer stands before the judgment seat of Christ. The believer does not stand in the great white throne of judgment. It's important to understand that. But the great white throne is set, and this is the time of the final judgment. Isn't that interesting? And the books are set before the throne, and they're open. Mm. But, you know, God's throne is not the only throne in heaven. It's important. to. So I see I want, there's so much I want to show you. You see what I'm saying? It's like so much I want you to see about what this place looks like. Because I'm going to tell you something. The more I learn about heaven, the more I want to leave here, if you want to know the truth of the matter. I mean, I just, man, hallelujah. Revelation, go to Revelation 4. Now, we read this last week, but we didn't even touch on it, and I'll be intrigued to see if you all caught it. Revelation 4.4. 4. It says, around the throne, talking about God's throne, were 24 thrones. And on the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. So, around the very throne of the living God are smaller thrones surrounding his throne, 24 of them, that the, 12, that the 24 elders are sitting on. Isn't that interesting? So in the throne room is not just God's throne, but here's 24 thrones. Isn't that cool? But you know what? There's, there's more. There's, that doesn't stop there. This is not the, the 24, and God's throne is not the only thrones in heaven. <laughs> I can see Mark. He's like, all right, where is he taking this now? Where is he taking it now? <laughs> Me too. I would love to know that myself. The Lord Jesus has his own throne in heaven. And this is very important for you to understand. Matthew 19, 28. You can write these scriptures down and I'll read them to you. That way you don't have to flip there. Matthew 19, 28. It says, so Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the son of man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, here's an interesting question. Is, are those 12 thrones different than the 24 that's already there? That's 
that's interesting in it. And we don't have any way to prove that, but, I mean, that's fun to think about. So we can't preach that, you can't teach that, but that's something fun to think about. But Jesus said, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory. I see that tell you he's got a throne. Well, where's that throne at? Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 15, says this. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So sitting at the right hand of the throne of God is another throne that the Lord Jesus sits on. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Let me give you some more scriptures. I can see you're still not believing me, so I'm going to give you some more scriptures. Mark 16, 19. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. What's he sitting down on? Some fold-out chair? No. <laughs> no. No, he's sitting on a throne at the right hand of majesty and power. Hallelujah. <laughs> Colossians 3 and 1 says this. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Now, see, I'm trying to paint a picture for you because we're going to see some very important stuff. Mm, Hebrews 8, verses 1 and 2. Now, this is the main thing, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. Mm. So here God's throne is called the throne of majesty. Jesus' throne is referred to as a throne of glory. Hmm seated at the right hand of God. So think about it. He's still on the throne. Well, there's a lot more happening than that. Who's still on the throne? Who are we talking about? Who? Tell me who's still on the throne. See, it's unfortunate that many believers struggle with differentiating between God the Father and God the Son. Who are we talking about still on the throne? Well, God's still on the throne. Well, yeah, the Lord is too. The Lord is too. And, and, and I, I want, I man, I just wish I could describe sometimes the things, how I see it. But, you know, we think about this. He's still on the throne. He's still on the throne. He's still on the throne. What, what comfort is that? What comfort is that? What comfort is that to you? What comfort is that to you when you're down here getting your rear end handed to you by the devil? Well, he's still on the throne. Well, what do you mean? What's that mean? It means that God's sitting up there watching the devil whip you like, a, like in a boxing match? What's that? What's it? Because that's what's happening to a lot of people. A lot of people are getting their rear end whipped by the devil. And they're still saying, well, you know, God's on the throne. Well, what benefit is that to you? I mean, let's just be realistic. Can we be realistic? Can we be real? What good is it to you to say that God is still on the throne if you're down here and you're sick or you're down here and you're broke or you're down here and you're oppressed of the devil or you're, you see what I'm saying? What good is that statement to you? That's about as good to you as walking out there and saying, well, stars are still in the sky. Yeah, but don't profit you nothing. See, people live trapped by these deceiving doctrines. 
Because that is a deceiving doctrine. Well, you know, I'm down here getting my hind end handed to me, but God's still on the throne. Well, what's that mean? <laughs> I mean, can you see that? Because, see, that should be something that when you say that or when you think that, that that inspires in you the greatest hope. Why is it important that he's still on the throne? That sometime in the sweet by and by, you're going to get to heaven? Well, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I ain't going to lie to you. If it wasn't for my kids and the work of the ministry, I'd just the Lord just take me on. I mean, I'm ready to go. Don't make me no difference. I'm sick of being here if you want to know the truth of the matter. I'm sick of being here. I've had enough of this place. I've had enough crap in my life to do me for a thousand lifetimes. If it wasn't for my kids and the work of the ministry, Lord, check me out of here. I got, I, I got nothing for this place. I ain't trying to hurt nobody's feelings, but that's just the fact of the matter. Paul said, he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, it's, but it's more needful for you if I live on in the flesh but I don't know what I'll choose. See, that's important to you to understand. See, people got a choice. Chris Romine was preaching Sunday, and I heard him say this, is that history records, secular history records, that when Paul finally made it to the post in which he was beheaded, said he ran to that post and embraced it, grabbed it. Oh, I'm finally My race, Timothy, is finished. I have ran my race. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have given every, I have not withheld anything from anybody that God has given me. Oh, and he embraced that pole. <laughs> oh, man, and just like that, whoo, heads, Paul, Paul's head came away from his shoulders. He was in glory. Hallelujah. Now, you might say, well, that's kind of radical thinking. Well, I mean, you lived through what Paul lived through. Bless God, you'd, have, you'd hug that post too. You go over there and think about what Paul went through. And I mean, that brother went through it. That brother went through it. Right? But Paul's confidence here was in an actual place there. That's good. I ain't never heard that before, but there you go. Paul's confidence here was in an actual place there, in an actual geographical location that he had seen because he said for himself, he said, when I was called up into the third heaven, the heaven of heavens, he said, I saw things that were unspeakable, such great things beyond comprehension of man. Well, you know, you don't want to get to heaven and it'd be the first time that you ever got to the throne, <laughs> right? You don't go like, oh, this is my first time here. No, no, in prayer and in life, we go to the throne where he's actually at, where he's actually seated, and, and God is seated there. And at his right hand, his son, our Savior, is seated there. We should be able to have this confidence that in prayer on this side, when we go to the throne, it does not mean that this is some type of random decision-making on behalf of God. It's not a Holy Ghost roll of the dice. It's not Holy Ghost Powerball. And I'm going to prove that to you. Would you like for me to prove that to you? Bless God, you would like for me to prove that to you, wouldn't you? Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm about to get myself cranked up right here. Boy, glory to God. Hallelujah. Woo! Hebrews chapter 7. Verses 20 through 25. Now listen very carefully what's said right here, because this is going to preface where we're going to land. And when we land, oh man. <laughs> oh man. It was so hard for me to not get to this last week. This is where I wanted to start. You know, I wanted to start here, and then the Lord said, no, you can't. You got to work. I was like, come on, Lord. All right, Hebrews chapter 7. Listen very carefully. All right, in, now, now you got to understand that the theme of Hebrews is talking about the priesthood of Jesus. That's kind of the theme, that he is our high priest, right? All right, and says, says in verse 20, it says, And inasmuch as he was not made a priest without an oath, for it, they have become priests without an oath, 
but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. That means he's the promise keeper of the covenant. The surety is the one, this is the guy that pays the debt, right? So he has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Hallelujah. Listen, therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hallelujah. He's not just talking about the unbeliever. Because oftentimes the scripture is misconstrued and said, well, you know, this is just Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, and this is for the unbeliever when they come to God through him. Well, it says right here that all those, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Well, he said in John chapter 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no, no, I'll die, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Hallelujah. So when you're going in prayer, guess where you're going first? You're stopping at the right hand of majesty and power at the throne of glory where your Savior sits and lives to ever make intercession for you. Well, what does that word intercession here mean? Let's look that up. Intercession here is translated from the Greek word intukano, and it means and it means to go or meet a person, especially for the purpose of conversation, consultation, or supplication, to pray or entreat, to make intercession for anyone. So glory to God. When you go in prayer, when you go in prayer, the Lord Jesus himself sits at the right hand of the throne of the living God. And he is ever ready to meet you and talk to you and talk to his father for you on your behalf. Hallelujah. Come on. And it says he ever lives. He ever lives to do this thing. Mm. Well, you know what? That's a whole lot more comforting to me than this throwing the statement out there that says, well, he's still on the throne and I'm down here getting my rear end whipped. No, that, does, that tells me that I can go to God. I can go to the throne of God. And now I got some, I, I mean, this is a game changer for me. Go to Hebrews chapter four. <laughs> Hebrews chapter four. Hallelujah. Starting at, verses, starting at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now watch this. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, here it says it calls God's throne the throne of grace. So we've heard it called the throne of majesty. We've heard it called the great white throne of judgment. We've heard it called he, Jesus is seated at the right hand of majesty and power. Mm. So think about it like this. How much confidence should it build in us that we know that when we get to the throne of God, we're, it's not just a random roll of the dice. Well, he's still on the throne. Yeah, but it's a lot more than that. Because we're not worried really about the throne. There's the problem. Well, he's still on the throne. No, we're not worried about the throne. We, we, need to, we don't care about the throne. We need, to see, we need counsel. We need a meeting with the one who, when he sits on the throne, it gives the throne a symbol of importance. All that throne is is a symbol of the authority and power and might of the one who sits on it. 
I don't need to get to the throne of God. I need to get to him where he's sitting. <laughs> Hallelujah. Can you see that? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Why? Because I'm going there to get a judgment on my behalf for my situation. <laughs> it's not just a random roll of the dice. Let's break this thing down. <laughs> All right. Oh, whoo. <laughs> Woo! Man, I'm telling you what, it's getting me cranked. Hallelujah. All right, so sympathize here is translated. Okay, let's read this. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Sympathize is translated from the Greek word sympatheo, and this means to have compassion. <laughs> Be touched with the feeling of something to be affected with the same feeling as another, to sympathize with, to feel for, or have compassion on. Hallelujah. Go to Psalm 145.8. <laughs> Hallelujah. Man, I'll tell you what, you may not be getting a thing, but I'll tell you what, bless God, I'm preaching me happy. Hallelujah. Psalm 145, verse 8 says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. So Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews here is telling us, we do not have a high priest who cannot understand what we're struggling with. He cannot, we don't have a high priest who cannot understand the feelings that are hitting us, the emotions that are hitting us, the struggles, the thoughts, the worries, the doubts, the fears, the repetitive attack of the adversary. It says, no, it says, you ha we have a high priest who is, who is touched by all of these things. We do not have a high priest who cannot, sympatheo, be touched with what affects us who cannot have compassion upon us for what affects us, for, cannot feel for us for what affects us. Hallelujah. Cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Weaknesses here is translated from the Greek word astenea. Oftentimes this is translated in the New Testament as sickness, disease, infirmity, or weakness. But listen to this. It can be of the body and its natural weakness. It can be feebleness of health or sickness. It can be disease. It can be infirmity. It can be sickness. It can be the lacking in strength of soul or of mind. It can be to bear trials and troubles. Asthenia. It says, so we do not have a high priest who is not touched and cannot understand what we deal with in sickness, disease, plague, infirmity, worry, doubt, mental, physical, emotional, all this different stuff. Would you like to go to Isaiah 53? Glory to God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Mm, Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are Rapha. We know that that means to be made whole. Surely he has borne our griefs. This is translated from the Greek word hali, and it means sickness, disease, or grief, or anxiety, or calamity. And it says, and he has carried our sorrows. Sorrows here is the Hebrew word makab, and this means physical or mental pain or sorrow or grief. So what Hebrews is telling us here, 
the writer of Hebrews is telling us here is that you, your high priest who sits at the right hand of God and ever lives to make intercession for you, there's not one thing that one person experiences in the earth that Jesus himself has not experienced. He has experienced it. He has lived it. He has been there. You see that? So, what if we took that perspective when we looked at it from, he's still on the throne. But, but there's more. Let's keep going. Mm. <laughs> For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our asthenia, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. All here is translated from the Greek word pos. And listen to this. It means all, every, total, the sum total of, the whole, or every kind of. Well, why is that important? Because whatever you're struggling with, Jesus has been there. And not only has he been where you're at with what you're struggling with, but he's been to the most extreme measure of what could possibly be for someone to go through. He's been there. So he's been further in what you're struggling with than you could ever possibly imagine. <laughs> and not just that. Not just that, but every type of, every type of whatever it is. Tempted here is a misleading word. Because tempted here would mean you would think, well, it just means tempted to sin. Well, it doesn't mean just that. See, this is, this is why we must study. See, we've got to dig deeper than face value. We've got to study. This is the Greek word parazo, and it means, number one, to be tested. Huh. The number one definition for this word means to be tested, to put to test, to examine, or try to tempt with evil. All right? Well, why is it so important that he knows, why is, it so, why is the test so important? Because you will be tested. Your heart will be tested by God. It's very important to understand that when it's time for you to grow, when it's time for you to be promoted, the, the, God will permit the adversary to come against you with a certain amount of power for your faith to be tested. I'm going to say that again. When it comes time for growth, when it comes time for you to be promoted, when it comes time for God, he wants to do something else through you, he will permit the adversary to have a certain amount of power against you to come against you for the testing of your faith because the testing of your faith produces hupomene, endurance, staying power. The test is for your promotion and not your punishment. The test is for your promotion and not your punishment, and it's for your good and His glory. But see, most people don't even believe that God will let this happen. Well, all you'd have to do is study the ministry of the Apostle Paul to realize that that's not the case. All you'd have to do is realize that Jesus Himself studied the ministry of Jesus. Jesus was constantly tested. He was tested in the wilderness. He was tested in His earthly ministry. And the adversary came against Him with a certain amount of power. Would you like for me to prove that? How many times did the Pharisees say something of him that wasn't true? How many times did the Jews say something of him that wasn't true? See, he was allowed to be tested. Jesus was tested. The apostles were tested. We will be tested. So when we see here, we go back and we reread that. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with the testing of our faith. Who cannot sympathize with us being attacked by the adversary. Who cannot sympathize with the frailty of flesh that we deal with. Who cannot sympathize with mental weakness, physical weakness. I'm telling you, wherever you've been, Jesus has been to the greatest extent. 
that, that changes some things. Therefore, let us come boldly. Boldly here is bold is a word that is misinterpreted oftentimes in the light of Scripture through our common understanding of the word, the English word bold. And boldness, godly boldness, is oftentimes misinterpreted as arrogance or narcissistic personality. You have someone that's bold, or they're trying to get all the focus on them. You ever heard me? Have, have you ever heard me one time, and all the time you've heard me spend preaching, and I talk about the miracles and the signs and the wonders that I've saw the Lord work? You ever hear me one time ever even remotely make mention of the fact that it had anything to do with me? You know, I've had people that I love say horrible things about me to my face. Horrible things. That when I give those, you know, that I'm, it's all about me. I've had that happen. I've had that said to me. Yeah. Sure enough. But then I got to thinking, you know, thank God for the Holy Ghost because they said the same thing about Jesus. <laughs> Everything Jesus did was trying to get people's attention about on his father. And they were mad at him and trying to say that it was, he was trying to make it all about them or all about himself. Hallelujah. But boldly here, translated from the Greek word parousia. Now listen what this means. With confidence. Openly. Plainly. Free and fearless confidence with cheerful courage and assurance. <laughs> Hallelujah! With cheerful courage and assurance with free and fearless confidence. Hallelujah. Mm, think about that. <laughs> think about that you know it's thinking about it from this perspective I'm welcomed I am welcomed at the throne of God they are delighted to see me you are welcome at the throne of God. You are welcome at the throne of God. You're welcome at the throne of glory. You're welcome at the great white throne of judgment. You're welcome at the throne of majesty and power. And not only are you welcome, they're delighted to see you. Mm. Think about that for just a minute. Think about that. No matter where you've been, no what you've done, not because of your work, but because of the work of the one who sits at the right hand of God, your Savior, your Lord, because of his work, you are welcome at his throne. They delight to see you. They love to see you coming. There's my son, Mark. I've been waiting to hear from him all day. There's my daughter, Kim. There's my daughter, Tracy. There's my daughter, Regina. Oh. I don't care that this is your 18th time here today and all you did was call me to tell me you love me. I'm delighted to see you. And I want you to know how much I love you, how much I care for you. Go to my word. See, didn't I tell you in my word that I loved you as much as I love my son? And the Lord says, oh, I'm so glad to see you. Is this only the seventh time you've been here today? 
sure would love to see you more. How many hours a day are you awake? You could stop in here once a day. You could stop in here once every hour and talk to us. We don't have to talk about stuff that you need. How about stuff that I'd like to talk to you about some things that interest me? I'd like to talk to you about things that I like. You know, I really appreciated the fact that you you paid close attention to that sunset that I painted. You know, when you said there the other morning how how you really loved that sunrise. You know, I really I wanted you to know I appreciate that. Thank you for letting me know that. You know, I don't hear that much. I don't hear a lot that how much people appreciate me. But I'm thankful to see you. I'm thankful to see all my children. But I wish that all my children, when they came here, were thankful to see me. I wish that they would just come to see me for just to see me. Not to ask. Not to beg. Not to plead. Just to come see me. You're welcomed at the throne of God. And you don't have to go in there worrying about if you got your hair combed just right. You don't have to go in there worried about my little overweight, my little underweight. You don't have to go in there, ah, I just don't measure up. This is all you do. Because I'm the measurement. I'm your high priest. I'm the one that sits at the right hand of the living God and makes intercession for you. I am your measuring stick. You measure up. Just come see me. Just come see us. We love you. Mm. Mm. Cheerful courage. I don't care that those people made you feel like you weren't enough. He says, I don't care that they didn't value the gift that they were given. I want you to know how much I value you. Your father says, and I want you to know how much I value you. I love you like I love my own son. Mm. Come on. What if that was the kind of confidence? What if that was the level of the relationship? People think that God does things for me because I'm special. I don't. I'm not special. I just intentionally love him. I intentionally love him. Because I love it when my kids intentionally love me. Mm. Isn't that beautiful? You're welcome. They delight to hear from you. Mm. I'm back again, Dad. I just want to tell you I love you. I just want you to know, Lord, I love you. Lord, I, I just want you to know how thankful I am for you, Lord. Father, I just want you to know. You know what? I just boldly lift my hands and proclaim that I call heaven and earth as witness to the fact, Father, I love you. Lord Jesus, I call heaven and earth as witness to the fact, I love you. And as a matter of fact, Lord, this is my commitment to you. I'm not going to love anything like I love you. I'm not going to let anything in my life be loved more than I love you. Not my children. Not anything. Not even the very breath that's in my lungs. So it's a different perspective on coming to the throne. Isn't it? You ever heard anybody talk like that from that perspective? That's beautiful, isn't it? That's because it was the Holy Ghost speaking. It didn't have anything to do with me. But for just a moment right there, I just saw myself in the Spirit at the throne. 
in the throne room. So glad to see you, son. What have you been doing the last couple hours when you ain't been talking to me, you little knucklehead? Get over here and give me a hug. I love you. You see that? And the Lord says, hey, where you been? What you been doing? What you been doing down there? I say, Lord, what you been doing up here without me? What y'all doing up here in heaven without me right now? <laughs> isn't, that a, isn't that a wonderful thought? They, this, it's not based on what you look like, where you've been, where you are, where you've come from. It's not based on any of that. It's based on the work of our high priest. Hmm. I don't even know if I can finish preaching this message. That's just got me. That's just got me. That got my heart right there. Man, hallelujah. Mm. Cheerful courage and confidence. Mm. Man, whoo. Let us come boldly. Let us come boldly. Let us come boldly. Let's keep going. Man, I got to come back. I may get out of here and not come back. <laughs> and I get to I'll be in heaven so fast, I say, Lord, I don't even know them women down there trying to raise me from the dead. Don't you listen to them bunch of heathens? They're a bunch of heathens, Lord, don't you? <laughs> All right. Hallelujah. Whew. Man, that was a Holy Ghost moment right there. Bless me. Mm. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right. So it says, Let us therefore boldly come to the, we hear, now we hear another terminology, which we just talked about that, the throne of grace. I don't know if this is for someone here or someone who will hear this on the podcast or the stream. That your heavenly father is nothing like your earthly father. Nothing. I don't know who that's for. But. Mm, don't measure your heavenly father by the damage that your earthly father did. Mm. That's good. Man, I tell you, the Lord just ain't going to let me get out of that one. Man, I mean, he just keeps pulling me right back there. Hallelujah. <coughs> Woo! Man. Sheesh. Okay. Obtain. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain. Obtain. Obtain is translated from the Greek word lambano. <laughs> when I tell you this definition, you're going to wish they hadn't used the word obtain. The definition of this Greek word lambano is receive what is offered. Man, obtain makes it sound like it's something just. Ordinary. Non-consequential. Common. I got to go get. No, he says, you come. I've been waiting for you to get here. <laughs> what, if that, what if that was the mindset? Man. I know Father's got something. I need to get to the throne. He's got something for me. He's got a gift for me. <laughs> I need to get there to receive what is offered. Mm. To obtain mercy. This is a Greek word, elias. To have compassion. To show favor or mercy. 
to one. Karis. Karis is the is the or grace is translated from the Greek word charis. God's grace is multifaceted, means it has it works in different ways, it has just different functions. My spiritual father, Robin Rick, says it like this is that it's a divine influence upon the heart. So that's one definition. It's divine influence upon the heart. So faith is inspired by divine influence upon the heart. <laughs> but the Greeks understood charis as a supernatural empowering touch, in their case, from the gods. Supernatural power. A supernatural empowering touch. The writers of the New Testament would know this. The Holy Spirit would know this. That's why this Greek word charis was used. A supernatural empowering touch from God. So what if we read it like this? What if we read verse 16 like this? Let us come with absolute confidence. Let us come with cheerful courage. Let us come openly and freely to the throne of grace, divine influence, that we can receive that which is offered, which is mercy, because <laughs> he wants to have compassion and mercy on us and show us favor. And also for us to receive his supernatural empowering touch and his divine influence on the situation. Because seeing that is everything that you need. Think about that. Let us come with cheerful courage to the throne of grace. Oh. Why? So judgment can be made on our behalf. Now that's based on the fact that if we're in right standing with God in the situation, you'd understand. I'm going to read something to you that I sent out to a handful of people last week, a handful of ministers that, you know, I got up early in the morning and you know, I just had some stuff. I just had some stuff bothering me, you know, and the Holy Spirit and, you know, the Holy Spirit's talking to me. And, and I kept hearing this, come boldly to the throne of grace. I kept hearing it in my spirit over and over and over. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Come boldly to the throne of grace. So that's where this message actually came from, was out of that moment. And I'm going to read to you. I tweaked some of the words for this particular setting. But if you'd like to have a copy of this, I can send this to you, but this is what the Holy Ghost said. Mm. So my brothers and sisters, we have a high priest like no other that has ever been nor ever will be. Jesus Christ the righteous is our high priest whose love for us is beyond the bounds of measure. He has complete and total ability not only to sympathize with us in our weakness, but he, is also, but he also, through his immeasurable love and sacrifice, is more than able to strengthen, sustain, and empower us even in the midst of our hardest moments and darkest hours. Has he not said, I am with you always? He has said it, and he is with us. Therefore, let us come boldly. This statement tells me that because of the work of our high priest and savior, I can come by myself or I can come with you to the throne of grace. <laughs> I can come with you, bless God. As you know, grace is manifold in its operation. It's divine influence on the situation. It's God's supernatural and power and touch to overcome. It's the totality of his nature to help us in every way to such a point that we have no true understanding of its magnitude. <laughs> we come to the throne of grace where we know through the scriptures that our high priest, Jesus Christ the righteous, sits to the right hand of his God and our God and to the right hand of his Father and our Father. 
This throne is the absolute highest place of judgment and authority. No man nor devil can overturn a ruling issued in our favor from the Most High God. This, of course, does not mean that every situation will go the way we may want it to go because we know that people have free will. But it does mean that we can receive a judgment on our behalf for the mercy of God, the manifold grace of God, in the fullness of its power to help us in our time of need. Hallelujah. I do not know the totality of the struggles that you, my brothers and sisters, go through. But know this for certain. I go with you to the throne of grace to obtain mercy with you for your life and your situations, no matter what they may be. I go with you to the highest throne of judgment to find grace to help you in your time of need. I would hope that you would go with me on my behalf. Our God is faithful. Our Savior is faithful. The Holy Spirit of God is faithful. Likewise, we should be faithful to them and to each other in going to the highest throne of judgment for each other and with each other. Mm. Come boldly to the throne. That's a completely different perspective on the statement. He is still on the throne. Because, see, it's not a random roll of the dice. It's not a lottery powerball that it just, if your number comes up. No, it's the confidence in the fact that we say that the one, if I can get to the one who sits on the throne, I can get the fullness of his grace the fullness of his power, the fullness of his mercy, the fullness of his compassion for me and my situation and whatever I'm going through. This thing may not shake out the way that I want it, and it may look like in right now that I'm standing in the middle of a field that someone burnt down around me that I had no, that I had no control over. But I understand that my God is the God in the fire. I understand that it may look like everything is burning down around me, but my God makes me fireproof when I'm right in his sight. Hallelujah. And, I'm in, and he's in that fire with me. And he's in that lion's den with me. And he's in that shipwreck with me. And he's in that prison with me. And he's in that pit with me. So when I make the statement that he's still on the throne, that is my statement of absolute confidence that if I can get to him, I know that I will get what I need. No matter what it is. No matter if I need favor in a situation. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I know that when I go to the throne and I'm right in his sight. And I've cleared offenses. I'm not holding unforgiveness against anybody. And I don't have perpetual sin taking place in my life. I know that when I get to the throne, I will find judgment on my behalf for help, for compassion, for mercy from the one who has been far further in my situation than I could ever possibly imagine. Mm. That's a completely different take on it. I pray this message strengthened, blessed, and encouraged you. You can find Word of Life Ministries on YouTube and Facebook. Just look for the guy with the cowboy hat on.